hard-hitting medical truth, cutting through conflict and confusion to the understanding you're searching for. Join Dr. Peter McCullough, world-renowned medical expert and practicing physician for this edition of the McCullough Report. Your life may depend on it. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report, and I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. It's great to be back in the United States. I just landed uh, in Dallas-Fort Worth Airport yesterday after a incredible trip trip to Europe, and I wanted to summarize that for you. I hadn't been to Europe since the pandemic started. I used to go about anywhere from probably six to 10 times a year, lecturing at the major medical centers, research meetings, other uh, activities in Europe. But, you know, since the pandemic started, uh, it's been off the invitation schedule for me. And things were obviously locked down, closed down for a period of time. And it's so wonderful to uh, to come back. So I left uh, mid-September and I uh, was asked to testify in the European Parliament. And we've had some shows on my European Parliament testimony, and make sure you visit my uh, Substack on uh, Courageous Discourse, and we'll give you the, the lowdown there. But uh, I was particularly impressed with Mr. Philip Cruz, K-R-U-S-E. Boy, did he make a big impact on the, um, the COVID-19 pandemic response and the team. He did a great job, and we are going to... Um, have a featured interview with Mr. Cruz uh, on the program. He, he really, in a sense, highlighted for us uh, so many critical aspects of pandemic response and you know what we need to do moving forward in the, um, in the crisis, uh, particularly at the level of justice. And that deals with all the wrongdoing that took place and, and what will need to happen in the courts uh, to get back to, in a sense, uh, people being restored. So many things were taken away, so many crimes committed. Philip Cruz, a, an attorney from, uh, from Switzerland, led our European Commission uh, testimony uh, group uh, at the European Parliament in Strasbourg, France. So Strasbourg, France was wonderful. And you've watched my social media posts on it, my substacks. I really liked it. It's a Older city, it's on the uh, eastern border of France, France and Germany, right there. You're right on the border. And um, very pastoral, very European. My wife loved it. It had every uh, fancy um, designer shop you could imagine. So all the ladies who like all the the French uh, designs, uh, wonderful. Food was terrific, very affordable. Uh, Strasbourg, you know, not an airport you fly in and out of. We had to fly to Zurich and then bus it up. And then when we left, we uh, we had to take a train over to um, Germany and then fly out of Germany out. But I'd recommend visiting Strasbourg. My wife and I liked it. We'd go back. I re- really would. European Parliament testimony has been summarized on the America Out Loud platform, but uh, was very important. I called officially for removal of all the COVID-19 vaccines from the European market. Now, how this will work is the European Parliament will put pressure on the uh, European um, Commission. They're really the executive body. European Commission, K 
can in turn apply pressure on the European medicine agencies, get these things off the market. Too many Europeans have been harmed by them. Uh, but we stayed several days in Strasbourg, and then we took a train um, over to Germany, flew out from Germany, and then we landed in London. And my wife and I had a chance to um, meet up with Peter McKelvey, great guy. And Peter took us into Parliament. We went to the uh, Great Hall in Westminster Palace. We saw where so many people had laid uh, in state after their deaths. People had, you know, dignitaries had had major meetings in this giant hall. And then we progressed into Parliament. I'd never been inside British Parliament. We had a chance to sit in it in the upper house. The upper house is like the U.S. Senate, except for people are not uh, elected into the House of Lords, that it's really based on position in society or by appointment. They, over, over the history, tended to be uh, wealthy landlords or other important business people. Uh, but th that's, in a sense, their Senate. And they do, I think they have um, long-term, if not lifetime appointments. So there's no concerns about re-election. And what was explained to me is that, listen, this is better than elected government, at least in one house, because people can make the right decisions for the country and they don't have to be biased towards a, you know, a political action committee or the next campaign cycle. The downside of it is that people may not indeed represent a constituency and the constituency has no control over their representation. So that's the House of Lords. And, uh, and then the, um, the other is, is simply their House of, of Representatives, their elected members of parliament. There I had a chance to meet uh, previously uh, Andrew Brigden. He's one of the few British members of parliament who's coming out big time. Vaccines, not safe, not effective. He's not afraid to say it. And when Andrew Brigden in the British parliament gets up and speaks, hundreds of people walk out. They can't possibly face the truth that the COVID-19 vaccines are not safe and not effective. It, it really is a, an ex extraordinary observation that uh, indeed people can't handle the truth. Uh, from there, we um, had a car and we went down to Bath, United Kingdom. I, I'd encourage anybody to go to Bath. It's towards Bristol, so it's south in west of London by a couple hours. What a neat place. Bath is an ancient city. The Romans were there from AD 43 to AD 400, roughly. And the Romans discovered a very unique natural hot springs in Bath, United Kingdom. And did they take advantage of it? The Romans built beautiful uh, pools for this heated water, uh, had an incredible complex. They did all kinds of ceremonies there. Uh, the water was thought to have special healing properties, so people came and, and became healed. And uh, what a neat place. The museum there is definitely worth going to. It was so worth it. They had so many displays. We couldn't get through it all, but it gives the history of what went on there. Actually, the very first King of England was crowned in Bath, United Kingdom, around uh, 975 AD. Uh, but that period of time and what was constructed there in Bath, United Kingdom was really terrific. 
And when you go in the center and you realize so much of it is really from 2,000 years ago, it's mind-blowing how perfect it is and, and how warm the water is and how it, it, it comes up from this uh, deep part of the earth. I guess the water's under pressure and it heats up and it comes up into these natural hot springs that have been um, <coughs> well-constructed, well-organized, well-directed, all by Roman um, civic uh, engineers, architects, and then the people who built it, largely probably enslaved people who built the, you know, all the structures in the Roman baths in Bath, UK. But there I had a chance to meet firsthand Dr. Tess Lowry. What a wonderful woman. Uh, she's from South Africa. She's been on my show. She's been a physician in the United Kingdom, independent consultant to the World Health Organization, never a professor of medicine. She was never in academia, but always an independent uh, data analyst, uh, a physician, clearly skilled in epidemiology, biostatistics, but also health policy. She is the, the founder of the World Council for Health, which now is a worldwide body with over 200 grassroots organizations and affiliates. She organized the entire world uh, into a structure that would be an alternative to the WHO. People find, you know, forming their own solutions. World Council for Health website, far and away, is the, one of the best COVID research resources for policy. People say, Dr. McCullough, what's the best report showing the vaccines aren't safe? Go to the World Council for Health report on pharmacovigilance of the vaccines, uh, June 11th, uh, 2022. Best document out there. Recently, they had a document out there that was so well timed and well-positioned, and that has to do with their current advice on what to do with the COVID-19 vaccines as they are integrated into the overall childhood vaccine schedule. And I I really want to read this for you. It's people bring this up every day. They say, Dr. McCullough, um, now that the COVID vaccines have been such a disaster, um, what should we do for childhood vaccination? And I, I've said, listen, I, I said the World Council for Health really is the place to go for the most recent statement. So let me read this one. September 5th, 2023, World Council for Health. So if you go to worldcouncilforhealth.org, you'll find it. It's titled, A Common Sense Approach to Childhood Vaccines is Now Needed. September 5th, 2023. Uh The number of vaccines given to babies and children has increased dramatically without necessary due diligence by regulatory agencies. Parents are urged to adopt a common sense, safer to wait approach. Growing international concerns about vaccine regulatory processes and vaccine safety have emerged following the widespread regulatory failure of the COVID-19 vaccines. The COVID-19 crisis has demonstrated that regulatory bodies, once, once public health watchdogs, are now at best incompetent and at worst have been deeply corrupted by pharmaceutical industry interests. In the context of emerging revelations of a regulatory body incompetence and corruption, the the Perseus report, the World Council for Health and Science Committee notes that uh, multiple bullets, and I'll read them off for you. Bullet number one, several research studies now indicate that vaccinated children have far worse health outcomes 
with higher rates of many chronic diseases than non-vaccinated children. Next one, the integrity of the scientific research and regulatory process of childhood vaccines, including the new nasal flu vaccine, now being administered en masse in schools is in question. Next one, pharmaceutical corporations have a longstanding history of misrepresenting products that cause injuries and deaths. Pfizer, for instance, has paid the largest criminal settlement in history for drug fraud. The childhood vaccination schedule provides these unscrupulous corporations with unregulated access to the bodies of our children. Next one, modern societies experiencing unprecedented rates of autism, asthma, allergies, inflammatory bowel disease, diabetes, obesity, depression, and more, for which the root causes have not been established. Next one, much of what we've been told about the success of early vaccines, including smallpox, polio, uh, is untrue. Clean water, modern plumbing, hygiene, refrigeration, and improved nutrition are the real factors that have correlated with dramatic reductions of many infectious diseases in the past, not vaccines. Next one. National regulatory agencies have never done the necessary evaluation to determine whether vaccines given to children alone or together, according to the ever-expanding childhood va vaccination schedules, are associated with poor health outcomes with children who are not vaccinated. So they've never done the research. National regulatory agencies have, begin, have, have been turning a blind eye to the mounting evidence linking childhood vaccination with autism that has emerged as a possible link since, uh, since first suggested in 1998. The National Childhood Regulatory Agencies have also been turning a blind eye to the mounting evidence linking childhood vaccination to other diseases, including asthma, allergies, bowel disease. The vast majority of children find vaccination with needles painful in long-term psychological harms, including disruption to breastfeeding and maternal bonding, have not been properly evaluated since the babies are jabbed on the first day of life. Next one, there are serious concerns among experts that existing childhood vaccines will be converted into messenger RNA technology, which has never been never proven safe for use in vaccines as adults, let alone children, and this will be done without public awareness, consent, and a robust research and regulatory process. Next one, with regards to COVID-19 vaccination, evidence from independent experts and official uh, international databases show that COVID-19 vaccines are not effective and not safe, raising serious questions around the authorization of COVID vaccines for babies and children. So in addition to these specific considerations, the burgeoning vaccination schedule for children needs to be viewed in the context of the following supranational developments in global health policy. The World Health Organization and its private stakeholders have financial ideologic interest in the provision of vaccines committed to providing 500 vaccines by 2030. The WHO and its stakeholders are working for the pharmaceutical industry and creating legislation that would give them the power to mandate injections by force for you and your children. And the last bullet point is the WHO supports gain-of-function research facilitating the creation of dangerous pathogens as well as the vaccines to combat newly created pathogens, thus creating a self-perpetuating vaccine industry based on fear. So under these circumstances, the World Council for Health urges parents to consider childhood vaccination very carefully and adopt a common-sense, safer-to-wait approach to the vaccine vaccination of your boys and girls. Don't fall for the vaccine fear-mongering and guilt-provoking 
propaganda, and I think that's right. I, you know, I'm not an anti-vaxxer. I am vaccine risk aware. I personally have taken 69 shots in my body. Come on, I took every vaccine. I, I you know, that was offered and sometimes repeated since the, you know, first time I took the vaccines, it didn't work. I'm a pincushion. I'm not an anti-vaxxer, but I am vaccine risk aware. I'm very aware of these risks now and very concerned, as Dr. Lowry is, that our regulatory agencies have really blown these off big time. And we've paid a price. So the World Council of Health, I visited their headquarters. I shot some uh, video there, uh, shot my documentary segment for one of the the British uh, producers. And then I had a wonderful evening session in downtown Bath. And it was myself and Dr. Lowry. And it was about the journey of health revolutionaries. And uh, we are both characterized as health reg- revolutionaries. Uh, yeah, I guess it's just like anybody leading like a revolutionary war, we're revolutionaries. But it was hosted by Majid, uh, Majid Nawaz. And I have to tell you, he's a very interesting uh, man. Look him up. Majid Nawaz, I use the, uh, the, um, the, the pronunciation Majid because my wife's uncle has that name, so I'm, I'm used to saying Majid, but he, he says Majid Nawaz. He's, uh, his family's originally from Pakistan. He was born in the United Kingdom, but he, you know, he spent jail time for being uh, in, in a radical Islamic uh, figure. And this was overseas, and when he got out of jail, he reformed. He came to the United Kingdom, and he's become a, you know, basically a famous podcaster, media host. He's been on the Joe Rogan Experience. Really good guy. Listen, he took the shots. Dr. Lowry and myself did not take the shots, so uh, Nawaz was sitting in between us, and you know, he was. He feels that, like anybody else, we start talking about the vaccines. If you haven't taken a vaccine, you feel great. You know you can't have any of these risks because none of that stuff's in you. But anybody who's taken a vaccine, you can tell they start to get somewhat nauseated, somewhat uncomfortable when they learn you can't get the vaccines out of your body once they're injected. The, the spike protein is produced almost indefinitely after the genetic code is installed with Pfizer and Moderna. And so... I think uh, Majid did fine. He navigated it. It was a wonderful session. Look for it online. Uh, Not all of it's completely released, but my media team's got some pre-released footage. It was very nice. Packed crowd. Boy, every table was packed. They had an intermission. They had drinks. Uh, Really wonderful. We went out to eat afterwards at uh, an Asian restaurant in Bath. It was a lot of fun. But that town is tiny. If you ever go there, you can go popping between all these shops all around, a lot of streets walking where there's no cars. We stayed in the St. Francis Hotel, and I would recommend it. It's a very old hotel, historic, uh, wonderful restaurant there. I was amazed at how many senior citizens were staying in the St. Francis Hotel. And of course, typical United Kingdom, it was cloudy, raining, spitting, pouring sometime. Some of these senior citizens, they were on their day trip. They would get soaked. This one poor lady, I was trying to help her through the door. She was sopping wet. She goes, I'm, I'm in. She told me her room number, like I was going to try to help to get her to her room, the poor thing. But, you know, senior citizens need to get out. They were doing one of these trips together. I remember my grandmother used to do that a lot. 
um, you know, during her later years when she was a widow. And it's important. You'll see them there in Bath, the older United Kingdom crowd that will go, uh, you know, for a trip. They'll go shopping and restaurants. It's all there in Bath, United Kingdom. Well, that was our, our time there. And then we um, got a car. We went over to the Bristol airport. And then we flew Bristol to Amsterdam. And then Amsterdam into Nuremberg, Germany. And that's where we are going to finish up. And let me tell you what. Um, I had feelings I couldn't describe about going to Nuremberg and learning more about that region of Germany. I'd never been there before. I had been and lectured in Munich and in Berlin and Frankfurt and Mainz-Wiesbaden, but never into Nuremberg. Well, it's in Bavaria, and Nuremberg was historically the part of Germany where Hitler did most of his early formation work. He would have his rallies in in Nuremberg. And, uh, you know, they had built Zeppelin Field. Zeppelin Field was a giant marching field where massive legions of um, Nazi army soldiers and, and their, you know, their lieutenants and their drill sergeants would march. And Hitler would uh, stand up on this point from this big stone-hewn set of um, staircases and seats where he would prevail over the marching Nazi army. So my wife and I went right there and we stood right where Hitler stood. It was surreal. I don't even know what to say. All the, you know, all the markers that describe what on there was all black and white, shades of gray. Um, it was ominous. Parts of Zeppelin Field, especially in the outfield, the, the stadium stairs, they just let them go. And so now dirt and weeds are growing over it. The main part where the soldiers march, they now do, um, looks like straightaway drag racing there. It's really unclear. You know, how do you heal from that? How do you resolve that? It's it's coming up on a hundred years. It's it's obvious that they don't know what to do. They really don't know what to do with it. Now we went over to a neighboring, a giant coliseum that they uh, Hitler had built, but it was never finished. And the coliseum was about twice as big as the Roman coliseum. It was a giant uh, circle. We went inside it to see what uh, he was erecting, and um, uh, it, it just was an incredible visual. Then we went on to Courtroom 600, and I think everybody who goes there needs to do this. Courtroom 600 is where they held the Nuremberg Trials, the Nuremberg Trials. And go to my Substack, and you can see some pictures of Courtroom 600. My wife and I went to, you know, we rented one of the you know, the audio guides, and we went up to all the different displays, and um, which is largely just photographs, you, you know, in glass cases. But we went over this, and my impression, particularly when you got to the, you know, the defense explanation. So of, of the various people brought up on charges there, and there was, you know, general charges, uh, crimes against humanity, and then there was some specifics for the doctors. They had over 70 defense attorneys, 
and these Nazi commanders, doctors, others involved, their main excuse was, listen, I was just doing my job. I was just doing my job, and you know that's what I was told to do. Well, this what was examined in the documents is, well, what was your job? And you know they reviewed the the various commands that came down, and there was just one. There was document after document after document, and it was brutal. You know when they announced, listen, we are attacking Yugoslavia. They said we will show no mercy. There will be no apologies. Even if they say they're with us, we can't trust them, and we're going to annihilate them. And this was all written out. It was astonishing. I learned that the Nazi German forces across all the lands that they invaded and conquered had 3.9 million people in labor camps and about 1.6 million Jews in labor camps all over Europe, 30,000 labor camps. This is astounding to have millions of people essentially conscripted into labor for the Nazis. And all the atrocities that happened in these camps. And then you go on and on to experimentation, the gas chambers, the mass graves, and the horrors that took place there. But I can tell you, nearly a hundred years after the rise of Nazi Germany and World War II and, and the catastrophe, it's obvious even in Nuremberg, Germany, they don't know how to end this chapter. They don't know how to how to put a final piece on it. The ambiguity there, the the tension. Uh, a lot of people in Nuremberg don't even want to talk about it. They, they, they can't put it out of their mind, but they don't want it to be front and center. They can't seem to figure out what to do with, you, you know, the, the physical scars in the earth that Hitler created. It's really an astonishing revelation. I encourage everybody to go there. So um, we drove over to Stuttgart, Germany. I gave uh, lectures there, wonderful doctors, um, you, you know, and I found out a lot about the German doctors. They, uh, a lot of the doctors in Nor- northern Germany who are independent, they didn't take the shots. They had community pharmacies doing compounding of ivermectin, all the same stuff we did. The institutional doctors were different. But one of the main things we did in our lectures in Germany, which had to be translated, is we slowed down and we had, for most of the lectures, an hour of questions. And there the patients came forward. And the patient said, Dr. McCullough, I took the shots and now I've got this complication. So just patients coming forward in a large group setting convinced the other patients the vaccines weren't safe and they're not effective. I just thought it was very compelling. Uh, We went on to Puschendorf. I gave a series of uh, two back-to-back lectures there, uh, multi-faculty presentations. You'll see all this online. Uh, Puschendorf is outside Nuremberg. Uh, and then we wrapped it up, and we flew from Nuremberg over to Paris, changed planes, back to Dallas, and I'm in clinic today. I can tell you, it was a great trip. I'd do it again. Uh, I learned so much. And, and I hope, if anything, uh, that myself and the other faculty members, that we, we left an impact, that we help people understand. We helped Europe, multiple countries in Europe, understand that COVID-19 pandemic, the pandemic response, 
and all the hardships, the hospitalizations, the deaths with the illness, and now the injuries, disabilities, and deaths with the vaccine, that this is a worldwide global tragedy. And like World War II, we are going to have to find ways of bringing all of this into perspective, into historical filing. And then also for those who have been damaged so greatly, bringing them a sense of justice in the end. A life we can't bring back, hospitalization we can't undo. But I think everybody wants to see justice at the end of the pandemic. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. You're listening to The McCullough Report. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Loud Talk Radio. Cofix RX is Povidone Iodine Nasal Spray in a 1.25% solution and a spray bottle that actually actuates the Povidone Iodine into a gentle spray into the nose in order to kill nasal pharyngeal pathogens the viruses that cause the common cold, paramyxoviruses, other coronaviruses, adenoviruses, as an example. Common bacteria, including uh, pneumococcus, haemophilus, staphylococcus, uh, streptococcus, all those common organisms that cause sinusitis. Uh, importantly, the uh, product is used with a spray pump up each nostril. Don't hold your head back, just in a neutral position and there it can be used uh, about three times a day in a 24-hour period when anybody gets sick in the house and cofix rx is not far away so go to cofixrx.com and in the promotional code uh, put in out loud for a discount let's get real let's get loud on america out loud talk radio cofix rx nasal solution has completed the circle and is now offering throat spray with povidone iodine. That completes the protocol doctors like Peter McCullough recommend. If staying healthy is important, you'll want to make sure to add throat spray to your next order of Cofix RX. For a limited time and exclusive for America Out Loud listeners only, you can save 25% off your entire order. Let's double down against colds, flus, strep, RSV, HRV, COVID, and more. Click the banner or go to America Out Loud shop to get 25% off your entire order. Use coupon code OUTLOUD25. That's coupon code OUTLOUD25. Millions of Americans are needlessly suffering from the long-haul effects of the toxic spike protein. Dr. Peter McCullough and his team at The Wellness Company designed their spike support formula to counteract harmful spike protein from COVID-19 and vaccines so you can feel your best. Go to OutLoudCare.com today and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. For 25 years, Global Healing has proudly produced the highest quality supplements and cleansing programs that are rooted in nature and backed by science. Get 15% off all of our products using code OUTLOUD. Global Healing, giving you the power to take control of your health naturally. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn. Nutrition company Healthy Cell created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, and sleep deep. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code out loud. 
changing the world one person at a time. Here we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. We know that if America fails, the world will fail. It is incumbent upon us to carry the torch for liberty. America Out Loud Talk Radio. It's a fight for the soul of humanity. This pandemic was a pandemic of fear. It was the infectious disease spread from mind to mind to mind, and then from groups to groups to groups. That's what happened. Most of us didn't see this coming. I know I didn't. That is for sure. But you've heard compelling evidence this morning. Compelling. What's occurred is a crime. A crime and probably the crime of all time in humanity. And you're watching it unfold right now. I'm Dr. Peter McCullough. I'm a practicing internist and cardiologist in Dallas, Texas, United States. And I have dedicated my clinical efforts to helping America and the world get through this difficult time and with as saving as many lives and sparing as many hospitalizations as possible. And, and uh, you know, the, the group of doctors led by Dr. Corey, myself, Dr. Cole, was small in the United States. We think about 500 doctors carried the entire country through the pandemic. We have a million doctors who stayed on the sidelines and told patients that the virus was untreatable. There was no treatment, and to wait until they're sick enough to come in the hospital and then go on the mechanical ventilator. United States, according to statistics, leads the world in COVID deaths, and we're less than 5% of the world's population. Nearly all the deaths occurred in the hospital, virtually none at home, virtually none. Amazing. No deaths of homeless people who live outside all the time. What we have witnessed is something none of us will forget. None of us. Former President Trump said, let's not make the cure worse than the disease. And you know what the proposed cure was, is a needle in every arm, every six months with no end. And I can tell you, based on my clinical observations and what we've seen in the peer-reviewed literature, the cure is worse than the disease. Taking the vaccine is worse than getting COVID, for sure. COVID has always been a treatable illness. Now, the treatments change, and, and the information evolves over time. But our lessons learned so far on this whole pandemic response is that every condition is treatable and the focus should always be on the sick person, not on everybody who's well. Think about all the interventions, masking, lockdowns, hand sanitizer, vaccines. They're all for people who are well. They're, those people aren't sick. If we just focused on the sick people, and did everything we could, that's where all the opportunity to save lives were. So in the next pandemic, if there's gonna be one, now 
WHO Director Tedros, Bill Gates, uh, vaccine developer Peter Hotez at Baylor in Houston, and um, uh, Anthony Fauci, they all say with great enthusiasm, there's going to be another pandemic and that COVID is just a warm-up for what's really going to happen. Why are they so enthusiastic? Because they have figured out working as a syndicate that's been well assembled over time, that if a worldwide emergency is declared and then individual country emergencies are declared, the doors of treasuries open and the money pours into the syndicate. Now, our book, Courage to Face COVID-19, who, 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 and then I wrote it with John Leake, who's a best-selling author, and he wrote the majority of it. Um, we identify in the book a biopharmaceutical complex, a syndicate, a working syndicate that's formed, and it probably took years in its formation. Dr. Martin probably can tell you uh, how it came together. And the members of the syndicate who are clearly working together include the World Health Organization, the World Economic Forum, the Wellcome Trust, the Rockefeller Foundation, Gavi, CEPI, the Coalition for Epidemic Preparedness and Innovation that the Gates Foundation and the World Economic Forum formed, UNITAID, all of the regulatory agencies. This is astounding. So your regulatory agency here in Denmark, the MHRA in the UK, the TGA in Australia, SAFRA in South Africa, in the United States, our CDC, NIH, FDA, our State Department. You would be astounded to go through the websites of the major US agencies, the um, National Security Administration, for example, and realize virtually every one of these agencies has a statement regarding the origins of SARS-CoV-2. Why would government agencies have a statement on their website regarding this virus, the Department of Energy? It turns out they all had a hand in this relatively giant project, what was going on in Wuhan and probably going on in many biological labs all over the world is a giant project. The world is in the business of developing biological threats and then developing the answers for them, what are called countermeasures. Countermeasures including um, therapeutics, monoclonal antibodies, vaccines. So one way to think about it is the entities that hold the next threat to humanity and they hold the answer they hold a lot of power, power. We don't hear about ballistic missiles and defense systems anymore. We hear about biological threats. So all of those who are in this business of threat and countermeasure are really juiced up now. That's the reason why they think there's gonna be another pandemic. If there is another pandemic, I would predict it's going to be another human-engineered virus. It's not going to be a natural virus. So if we hear about another pandemic, a paromyxovirus, or a version of Marburg virus, or a, a, a fungal organism, my first thought would be it's manufactured. Why wouldn't we think that? This has been telegraphed to us. Why wouldn't we think that?
The next thing I think we should carefully look at is that to be very, very skeptical of whatever the narrative is. If we are told that a infection is not treatable, we should immediately think it is treatable, like all infections are. And that if it is an infection and people are dying of it, we should treat early, early. All infections are treated this way. And if it's a fatal infection, we must treat with many drugs together because we do that for all infections. No single drug is a miracle drug. No single drug will work alone. So I published the first treatment protocol for COVID-19 in the peer-reviewed literature, and I'm fortunate that I had enough publication strength to do it. And the very first thing I said is, uh-uh, not a single drug. No single drug is necessary nor, nor sufficient, but we use about four to six drugs in combination. Over time, we found ivermectin is powerful, but we can treat COVID without ivermectin. People learn how to treat it all over the world. But what we found out and what we uh, really outline in the book, as Dr. Corey mentioned for ivermectin, is all forms of treatment were crushed. They were crushed, every form of treatment. Clive Palmer, who's a billionaire in Australia, bought enough hydroxychloroquine for every person in Australia. The Australian authorities seized that stockpile of hydroxychloroquine and they destroyed it. In 2019, before the pandemic, France took hydroxychloroquine from the over-the-counter market and made a prescription. This is serious business. The second largest producer of hydroxychloroquine outside of Taipei, the factory burned down mysteriously. You think there's a war on ivermectin. It started with hydroxychloroquine and ivermectin, but it doesn't stop there. Do you know that virtually every manufacturer of a virucidal nasal spray from forms of iodine to xylitol to the gargles, they were all sued and tied up by the US FDA and Federal Trade Commission. There wasn't gonna be a single nasal spray that got out to Americans to help them. It turns out the nasal sprays are way better than vaccines. In fact, they're better than most of the oral drugs. Something simple like a nasal spray and a gargle makes sense, right? The virus is right here. It's replicating in the nose and mouth. Something as simple as that, as that was going to be crushed. It was going to be crushed by this biopharmaceutical complex. When I started messaging to America that we could use forms of nasal sprays and gargles as a first-line defense, immediately Medscape and the other email services for doctors sent out a message, it said anti-vax doctors uh, um, uh, telling patients to use iodine nasal sprays. Patients will swallow the iodine and die. They sent that out to every doctor in America. Every doctor in America. There is a clear plan being played out. The plan is to suppress any hope of treatment at all and to continue to advance these genetic vaccines every six months. Now, very recently, I published the very first um, peer-reviewed paper 
proposing that we should start detoxification for people who have taken the vaccines in long COVID. You saw Dr. Cole's slides. These tissues are loaded with this Wuhan spike protein. The spike protein was engineered and it is unnatural. This spike protein is stuck in what's called the pre-fusion phase, engineered with certain changes in amino acids by Pfizer and Moderna. This spike protein appears to be resistant to human enzymes breaking it down. It's stuck in all the tissues. Now those are patients at autopsy. People walking around who've taken these vaccines almost certainly have spike protein in their tissues. It's not going away. The proposal based on signals of benefit in the preclinical pre and the available clinical literature is to de start detoxification by enabling the human body, giving it some aid with orally ingested enzymes, natural enzymes that can assist in this degradation. The first is natokinase. Natokinase is uh, derived from the fermentation of soy by a bacteria called uh, Bacillus subtilis natto. The Japanese have been eating natto for its cardiovascular benefits for about a thousand years. They've had an oral supplement for several decades. They've done randomized trials in carotid atherosclerosis and other uh, diseases where there's atherothrombosis. It is safe. It clearly, you know, is a blood thinner. It's an orally over-the-counter available blood thinner. But the Japanese showed natokinase reliably degraded the spike protein in intact uh, models uh, and cell lysate models. So, so natokinase is first up. Second is bromelain. Bromelain is another family of enzymes derived from the stems of pineapples. Now, bromelain is an FDA-approved drug as a topical agent used in burns to actually degrade the eschar, or the thick proteinaceous cap on wounds. So we know bromelain has medicinal purposes. It's an FDA-approved drug. Well, it's been available as an oral supplement for several decades. Now, the third, again, the principle is single things don't work. I've been working on this clinically, you know, in my practice and in the literature, single drugs don't work. Everything has to be in combination. The third is a drug that's been tested in prospective randomized trials in people who've taken the vaccine and have long COVID, and they do feel better, and it does reduce inflammatory markers in the bloodstream, and that is curcumin. Curcumin is derived from turmeric. So about six to nine months ago in my practice, we, in an organized way, we said, listen, let's start trying detoxification and seeing if anybody can get better because I'm using every prescription drug I can. I'm treating every syndrome possible, but the spike protein does not seem to be going away. We're not seeing any signs in the literature is going away. We're seeing sky high antibodies in response to the spike protein. Pretty soon we're gonna be able to measure it directly in plasma. By the way, it's been measured in plasma in papers by Yonker, by um, Castriuta. It's been measured um, most recently by Brogan. Uh, Ryan Cole cited that paper. A year later, people have circulating spike protein in their bloodstream. It's in their bloodstream for sure, it's in the tissues. So we started doing this and making careful observations. This is what I know so far, that the, the triple combination of natokinase, 2,000 units twice a day, bromelain 500 milligrams once a day, and curcumin 500 milligrams twice a day, it's, it's well tolerated. 
it's way below the safety limits that we have to worry about with these drugs. However, it can promote bleeding. So we have to be cautious with people on blood thinners, of which we can use it, and people who you know have easy bruising or nasal uh, oral mucosal bleeding. And they, people with allergies to any one of the components can't may potentially can't tolerate it as well. But with these caveats in place, we have made the observation that people do improve. It takes time, about three to six to nine months of time before some of the characteristic syndromes get better, like the small fiber neuropathy, headache, uh, POTS, posterior orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, this pounding of the, uh, of the heart and blood pressure oscillations, that these fundamentally can get better. So, you know, in a bold move, just like we did with COVID, published the very first paper proposing detoxification to get going on it. And we called it base spike protein detoxification, meaning it's the base. Now, if someone says, well, I really want to use N-acetylcysteine, I said, fine, add it to the base. I really want to use ivermectin some more, fine. I want to use hydroxychloroquine, fine, keep adding it to the base. We're in a multi-drug situation. Five billion people in the world took these things. A Zogby survey in the United States showed about 15% of people are chronically ill from taking the vaccines and having COVID and those combined. So this is a proposal for patients with long COVID and those who've taken the vaccine and have some symptomatology. Now, people have asked me, Dr. McCullough, does every person need to do this? I would say no. And I think one of the most important papers I have seen in the last year on COVID-19 vaccines came from Denmark. It came from your country. The first author is Schmeling and colleagues, Schmeling. And he had all the Pfizer data and he had the side effects. Schmeling reported that there were three groups of batches of vaccines. The batches are the, the lots, are the, the grouping of the, the produced product that gets put into the vials. The first grouping, just less than a third, zero side effects. Zero. Nothing. Not even a sore arm, by the way. So the first thing when someone says, Dr. McCullough, do I, I took a vaccine, do I need to worry? The first question I ask them is, is your arm sore? Very important question. And have you had any side effects? The group that had zero side effects very likely is going to have no side effects, probably because they got a very minimal dose of messenger RNA or some other factor. But it's clearly related to the product, not the patient. The second group, which is just under two-thirds, that group had some moderate side effects, okay, but the third group is most worrisome in the Schmeling data. It's 4.2% of doses, and it's through the roof. Myocarditis, blood clots, death. It's very similar to the CDC vSafe data, where you know in 10 million Americans who took the shot, 7.7% report they got so sick they had to go to the hospital or emergency department. It's a small group of people who took the vaccines who are really in trouble. So our challenge is to risk stratify, identify those individuals, and intercept them to see if we can't begin to take some of the tension out of this entire situation now. We are seeing people die at unprecedented rates. We're seeing young people with cardiac arrest, and it's real. The real question is the next person who dies in Copenhagen today, the question on the table is, is it due to a vaccine?
I'm the senior author on the largest autopsy paper now that's been assembled in, in the peer-reviewed literature. This is what we found. In people with no prior illness, no antecedent disease, no expected death, when they do die and undergo an autopsy, 73.9% of the time, it's due to the vaccine. The next person who dies, and it's unexpected in this town, it's due to the vaccine until proven otherwise. That paper, when it was published in the Lancet server, it was crushed in less than 24 hours. It was censored. The biopharmaceutical complex said, ooh, we can't let that get out. Well, we put it up on the European Commission server. We've been having it shop around at the journals. I gave a lot of press interviews. The typical vaccine paper on the European Commission server gets about 25 to 50 downloads and views because there's so many vaccine papers. Ours is approaching 400,000. The point is, the point is every time the biopharmaceutical complex tries to crush me or you, it backfires every time. Censorship backfires. The base spike protein detoxification Within 24 hours of it being published and people were messaging out on social media, immediately the censorship started coming in, hot and heavy. And you know what? I was happy. I was happy because that is confirmation we're on the right track. That's confirmation that it works. This biopharmaceutical complex, they have all the resources. They have thousands of scientists. They have every, every bit of funding and knowledge as you can possibly imagine. They have probably figured out how many steps ahead. They probably figured out what would break down the spike protein and to keep a watch for papers on natokinase and bromelain. Listen, they are running this show. So when they saw that coming, they, they knew they had to crush it. They figured out, oh, there it goes. There's McCullough or his, his team has got this out there. They knew to crush hydroxychloroquine ahead of time. They crushed ivermectin when they saw Dr. Corey, when he testified in the um, U.S. Senate, and he brought the news that ivermectin is clearly a powerful drug. They said, we have to crush ivermectin. His book is called The War on Ivermectin. It was a war. Anything that really works to help people, this is the game now. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to anything that gets crushing censorship and immediately go to that. Go to it because that's the truth. That's something that's going to help you. It's very, very important. Pay attention to this. Pay attention to anybody who's being censored because they are speaking the truth. Joe Rogan did a great um, uh, video on this and said, wherever you see censorship, you're seeing an attempt of stripping civil liberties away. This isn't just about making people miserable, stripping civil liberties away, like your personal autonomy, your right to medical care, your right to treatment, your right to new innovations. That is actually stripping away your life, potentially. This is not just about being restricted or, or having a, a digital passport. This is potentially about your life and the life of your family members and the people you care about. That's what this is about. In many ways, this is a war. This is a war, and you have to start to behave like we're in a war. If you're going to behave in a war, are you going to get in line to take a vaccine so you can keep your job in the middle of a war? You're going to say, no, I'm going to, I'm going to do the things that I need to do to survive and protect my family. That's what you do in a war. We need to start behaving like we're in a war.
This is very important. If we can't pull it together now, we're three and a half years into this. This has been three and a half years of misery, of injury, disability, and death. And you're all sitting side by side. You're comfortable. You're okay. I'm here to tell you this next wave of COVID is very mild. It's easily treatable. It's easily manage, managed. That you should not put your life at risk with another vaccine shot. You should not. No job is worth it. How many of you told me, Dr. McCullough, my son or daughter took the shot to keep their job? To keep their job? Really? What job is worth that? I have patients amputated to here. They said, I did it for my job. Listen, we've got movie stars. We've got people who are destroyed. And they're so destroyed, they're so fearful, they can't even come out and say it was the vaccine that did it. Very rarely can someone who's vaccine injured with one of these COVID shots come out and say it was the shot. Very rarely. Those people you should pay attention to. They took the shot, they had something bad happen, and they have the intellectual honesty and compassion and concern for you that they are telling you what happened to them. Those are people who really care. The people who take the shot and stay quiet, well, I took the shot and something happened, but I'm not going to really say if I took the shot or not. That applies to a lot of public figures right now. They're just propagating the misery and the harm. I did a Twitter poll and I asked the question, why are they doing this? Some of these movie stars have zillions of dollars. Why wouldn't they just come out and tell the truth? You know what the answer was? The answer is they were afraid of losing more. They had already lost so much with their vaccine injury. They were afraid of losing more. So we're back to fear. So there's fear at the start. There's fear every step of the way through. And there's even fear after someone is crippled with one of these vaccines. The fear is the disease. The fear doesn't stop until we have courage. Courage is not the opposite of fear. Courage is the ability to overcome fear. Fear is a natural human emotion. Courage is the ability to overcome fear.